Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, thank you, everybody, for being here at the live podcast of Near and Queer to My Heart. Thank you. We appreciate it. We're coming to you live from Crescent City Books. Uh, We are here with Jeff D. Um, Usually on the podcast, if you've listened to the podcast, yeah, you can cheer for Jeff D. Let people know you're here. This is a live podcast. This is what we do. Uh, if you know Jeff D, he's an amazing comedian, stand-up actor. He's uh, has a cabaret show that he does at Oz every Thursday at ten ish, um, and he's at Bourbon Cowboy, and he's all over town. And he tours nationally, and he's got some. We'll get into more of the stuff he's done. I don't. We'll spend all day just listing his resume out. Um, but usually at the podcast, if you've listened, we usually do an interview first, and then we play a clip of the performance of the artist, whether it's stand-up or storytelling or song. But because this is a live show, we're going to bring you. His Stand up live first. So please let me welcome to the stage that I'm on that I will get off of Jeff D. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to, I've sort of been working on this. I've been thinking about religion a lot lately, right? Because um, Carlo, my husband, um, told me that when we have a home one day, which we'll see. And we have one of those fancy dining rooms that, you know, people with money have that he wants to get like one of those giant um, paintings of the Last Supper. Right. And my thing is, you know, I'm 41 years old. I'm overweight. I'm on blood pressure medication, blood sugar medication and, you know, cholesterol medication. The last thing I need during a meal is to be reminded that it could be my last one. Right. (laughs) You know, but it's very funny because he's like a gay Catholic and that doesn't really make sense to me. You know, that's like, you know, a, a Jewish Nazi or a black KKK man or I don't know, a log cabin Republican. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, you know. And I've never really been with religion, but he loves it. He bought some of those Jesus candles that you can get at the Walmart. And it's really, because it's two different poses of of white Jesus, right? And so in one of them, he's like, let me finish, you know. (laughs) And then the other, he just kind of has his hands out like, whatever, you know. like. And it's really funny to me because... um, You know, I've just never really lived in a very uh, religious household. My mother stopped taking us to church because she'd have to beat our asses every Sunday because we were bad. I thought for years the cry room where you take babies to cry so that the rest of the congregation can't hear them, I thought that's where you took kids to beat their asses because that's what my mother used it for. You know, on the wall there was a painting of Jesus surrounded by children holding a belt. You know, like... (sighs) 
we'd go in there and another woman would be beating her child too and she and my mother would say hello to each other and then tag team the two of us you know um so i was never i went to catholic school for a little bit and i was always the kid that was like how do we know any of these stories are true and stuff like that right you know and religion you know as a gay man i mean has never really been something i'm fond of because they're not very fond of me right and i'm not talking about spirituality right believe in god believe in whatever you want to i'm talking about religion right and when i used to live in la and i would get drunk and watch the uh religious network late at night you know and i loved the show with the lady with the big pink hair i loved her and one night she said listen if you make a small donation five dollars we're gonna send you a vial of holy water and i was like oh my god I would love some holy water, right? So I, I made the donation, and then in the mail, I get this vial of holy water, and I didn't know what to do with it, right? So I made coffee out of it, and I mean, the coffee tasted fine, but I spoke in tongues for three days, you know? <laughs> but religion has always just sort of been an oppressive thing for me, you know? And I really wish uh, soon, hopefully soon, that Christians would learn to put the Christ back into Christianity. It seems like they pay attention to every part of that old book except for the, the shit that's in red, right? The stuff that Jesus said. Um, and that, that bugs the hell out of me, you know? I think that we need to get to a place of love. And, you know, what really bothers me is that every time there's some sort of natural disaster, you know, the Christian right says it's the gays' fault, right? Like, we somehow created this hurricane, you know? And my question is, how much gay sex does it take to create a Category 5 hurricane? Because, <laughs> because I can cut back, you know? Like, I mean, like, maybe we can get the boys off the grinder every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and get that Category 5 down to a Category 1, which we can all deal with, you know? Just let me know. But, you know, sometimes I feel like I, I, I've i never been a gun owner, owner in my life, but the way some of these people talk, it makes me scared for my safety and my husband's safety. I feel like I might have to buy a gun at some point, but I want, like, a cute gay gun. I want, like, a, a little pink Hello Kitty Glock, you know, like, and when it fires, I want Rainbow to come out of the front of it because, you know, if I'm cutting your ass in half, I want the last thing you see to be fabulous, and that's just the way... I feel um, about gun ownership. Uh, you know, it's really funny to me that uh, we, we talk about, like, you know, the Second Amendment and stuff, and, and I think that liberals are going about it the wrong way when trying to talk to uh, conservatives about gun rights and, and limiting, you know, their gun rights. I think we, we go about it the wrong way. Here's what, we need. Here's what we need to tell them, right? Automatic weapons were made illegal <clears throat> during the Reagan era. Right. You can still buy automatic weapons, but they cost a lot of money. You got to go through a lot of background checks and they cost a lot. Right. So if we ban AR-15s, the ones you have will become more valuable. Right. You can think of it as like a redneck inheritance plan or something, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, daddy, we're going to lose the farm. No, no, no. We can sell Uncle Johnny's AK-47, you know. So I think that's it for me. I'm, you know, thank you guys very much. Thank you. A couple of new things in there. Was that enough? Yeah, yeah. Was that enough, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted more time. <laughs>
<laughs> do more. Well, Jeff, we'd like to get to know, like the thing is, so I've known Jeff for years, um, and Jeff and I have done a ton of comedy shows together, and I really appreciate, I really appreciate you've always supported me in my comedy, even when I first started, like you were always like, I felt like you were rooting for me. I am. And I thank you, and I appreciate that, but I realize like, I don't know, I know pieces of you, like now, now <laughs> I know that you uh, were raised Catholic. Or no, 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 I was raised Presbyterian. Um, it, I went to Catholic school for two years. Oh, okay. Yes. See, you can beat that. children in Presbyterian churches. I don't know that they allow that in Catholic churches. In Catholic churches, you just use the fear of the priests and the nuns, I guess, you know, to... You'll have to ask Carlo about that. He was raised Catholic. That was raised Jewish, and they just nagged us until we got bored. Mm. So it was mm. just like a totally, totally different experience. Like, yeah. And that's scarier, to be honest. Right. And, and you know, you know, the Presbyterians are a little more open-minded than Catholics are. There aren't as many rules. They're, you know, they're, um, you know, the communion is done differently. You know, Catholics kind of form a chow line, and... Um, <laughs> Presbyterians sit where they are and they bring the, you know, Jesus to them or whatever. So I always thought that that, that was very weird, you know, and, and that was another reason I, you know, that, that I wasn't very liked in Sunday school because I would be like, why do we want to eat his body and drink his blood? I don't get it. This is disgusting, you know, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, you're from, are you from Lake Charles? I am from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Hold your applause. <laughs> For, for people that have no idea where the fuck that is, <laughs> or what that is. Oh, we is. can say fuck? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, we, good. Oh, good, we good, put good. On the podcast, we just put an, a little E next to it for explicit, and then we can say whatever the fuck we want. I so love that. Because I realize every episode, I, I'm i the one that said fuck, even when the guests have been so good. Like, oh, <laughs> God damn it. I, you know, I, I curse naturally. It's, it's, I'm really good. I'm really good at cursing. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I've been doing it for a long time, um... <laughs> And so I thank you for giving me the freedom to show my best side. This is a, this is a safe space. It's a very safe space, Jeff. <laughs> Wonderful. But you know, I thought we're, we're, we're saying fuck yeah. in a, an old bookstore. I like that. There's something. The books can hear us. That's right. <laughs> it's okay. Sonia Sotomayor is over there looking very judgmentally. Looking at us, and yeah. uh, I was just—I was telling Jeff before the show that this is one of the books that they have facing out as a suggestion, and he was like, "You should read this shit." And I was like, "Yeah, no, my queer feminist book club just wrote this last <laughs> month." And he was like, "Of course, you're in a fucking queer feminist yeah. book club." Shocking, Amanda's in a <laughs> queer feminist book club. I've been naked in a gay bar at two o'clock in the morning. Can you believe that? You know, like it's <laughs> <laughs> things happen. You remember it though. That's pretty. Awesome. I do. <laughs> so Lake Charles, I've I've driven through there on my way to other places. Um, I know there's casinos and there's something yeah. with a lot of smoke that comes out of it that's not on fire apparently. <laughs> right. Um, if you come over a bridge at night, it looks like this huge city lays uh, beyond you, but really it's just refineries and um, <laughs> you know the things that are slowly killing the people who live around them. So. But they keep voting for the people who take regulations off of them, so fuck you as far as I'm concerned. You know, yeah. your children are not my children. I'm 41. I'll be lucky to make it to 75. I'm not having any kids. You know, if you want to save your kids, it's on you now. I'm done. 
And you so, left. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be gone, right? I mean, I support, I support, you know, de- and I think that that's what we have to start talking to them about. And, you know, we have to stop because, you know, global warming has been so politicized now, right? Like, so they, everybody, you know, it's it, if you're a Republican, you don't think it exists because, you know, what's science anymore? And if you're a liberal, you definitely know that it exists. And, and what the question is, is how much people put into it right and i think that the way we need to go about talking to our um conservative counterparts is telling them that no matter let's let's say global warming doesn't exist right let's say it's a natural thing the earth does it's a natural uh occurrence there's nothing we can do about it what we do know is that we live in the cancer belt and what we do know is pollution causes diseases and gets in the water. And so don't we want to stop that, right? Like, I don't understand how they fight to deregulate and, and they're ruining the waters that they like to fish in, you know? Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, and I don't fish. So. Right. It, it's not even my... I don't fish either, but, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, I it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, they... They're, they're, you know, southwest Louisiana, they're people of the land, and they love to hunt, and they love to fish, and you can pull a fish out of the water, but you can't fucking eat it, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's full of carcinogens, sorry, you know. So what was it like growing up there? Freedom. Um, <laughs> it was... was freedom? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, not for a young gay boy, no. Um, uh, it was... You know, Lake Charles is very conservative, Christian, and white, you know, so um, it's a it's a small town. It's not too small of a town. It's not like a, you know, a gate on Louisiana or something. It's It's got about almost 100,000 people there, and there, there's a good culture scene. You know, I mean, I, how was growing up there? I, I don't know, because I, I didn't grow up anywhere else, so, like, it was normal to me, you know. Um, I... Uh, I I mean I guess you can say I I enjoyed my young life you know but what, what, what like what hobbies like was everyone fishing and you were like oh, at yeah. home or well yeah are you fishing too like, no no well you know I, I got invited fishing you know for a long time but that stopped because I would just. I would, you know, sit in the boat and eat everything out of the ice chest and, you know, like, I'd accidentally hook my brother in the face because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing because I'd rather be back at home listening to my Irene Cara tape and dancing around my room, you know, like, that's what I preferred to do. And I loved movies. I was really into movies and stuff. Um, And I really wanted to perform and there was really no outlet for that um, for me until I got into high school and got on the speech and debate team you know so that was the first time i really started performing for people that was outside of like church choir and you know stuff like that so i don't know it was some it was something it was it was it was an experience it was a growing up experience but i got out of there as soon as i could you did 18 and got out of there or no well i went to college there um so you stayed i stayed at adults who could choose to go anywhere and you stayed correct (laughs) yes just just checking fuck you amanda um <laughs> you know, I mean, because I don't, you know, I've all, I'm close with my family. You know, it took a while for them to get used to me being gay, but through it, they weren't very religious people or anything. So it was more of a social thing, like you know, 
you know what will other people say or whatever but they got over that pretty quickly and uh, well not quickly they got over that over time but I, I wasn't running away from my family I guess I could say because no matter what I always knew that they loved me and supported me in everything except for you know dick sucking but um <laughs> Every other way, they were very supportive. You know, like they—I was never punished for being gay. I did—they didn't even—I didn't even come out until I was in college. I remember when I was in college, my mother found um, I had bought a magazine with naked men in it, and of course, my mother used to find all sorts of things when she was just cleaning. You know, like <laughs> apparently, when you're cleaning, you have to take the drawers out of the dresser and <laughs> look underneath to where you know your children will hide their thing. I remember I used to have to hide my marijuana in different places because she would look for it and I would always be high when I hit it and so I would forget where I had hit it. There are like 20 undisclosed located uh, bags of marijuana around my mother's house right now. I'm, I'm quite sure of it, you know, so... I thought you were going to say that you hit it in different places. So if she found one, she like thought, oh, I got him. And then you were like, no, oh, there's 19 more. Somewhere. Right. No, she found it. She would just throw it away and she wouldn't. that. And, and you know, when I was, uh, I used, oh, so she found this magazine of mine and I told her that my friend gave it to me as a, <laughs> as a surprise. Or no, I'm sorry, as a joke. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. My friend Michelle gave it to me as a joke. You know, and the question was then, well, well, why would you keep it, um, you know, like, and hide it? Or, And then, of course, my mother started to hate my friend Michelle, who was a great person and didn't deserve the story <laughs> that I put on her, you know, but whatever. Oh, man. Did Michelle know, or was she just like, that's weird, Jeff's mom just all of a sudden <laughs> just walked by me and I won't say hi. I can't remember. I think, uh, eventually I told my mother that M Michelle was not guilty of hiding, <laughs> of giving me a gay magazine you know um uh so they they she stopped hating her i think <laughs> but she always hated my friend kim because kim threw up in the back seat of my car and my mother just never got over that, that so that's fair yeah and i'm still friends with kim to this day and my mother still kind of holds a little grudge because that was just you know it's wrong right. When I was four, I crashed my friend's Power Wheels car into a mailbox pole. <laughs> like, the first day she got it, and I'm, I'm a bossy bitch, so I was like, I'm going to drive this car right into the mailbox pole. And I, so I was like four, and I'm 35 now, and her dad, so I can tell. I can still tell, because I still hang out with them, and I still see him, and he's proud grandpa now, and he'll still look me in the eye, and I'm, I know he's thinking about that Power Wheel. Yep. Because I'm pretty sure my parents did not pay for it. I'm pretty sure they were like, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> kids will be like, kids. That's why our kids didn't have one. In right. First place. Take me to people's court. <laughs> See what happens. I've always wanted to. I need to find somebody to sue because I want to meet Judge Judy. You know, I want. And it's a free trip to L.A. You know, like if you win, you get their money or whatever. If they win, they get your. The point is, you get a free trip out to L.A. Right, <laughs> and you get to meet Judge Judy. I just need somebody to sue. Um, you can sue anybody. You yeah, know I know, but I, there's got to be a reason, and we'd have to concoct this whole story. And I'm sure that they, you know, have investigated. It'd have to be really good, Amanda. We'd okay. have to really, like, I don't know. I have a dent in my car, and we could make something up. Yeah, next person who talks shit about you on Facebook, it's on. Yeah, <laughs> harassment. <laughs> so, uh, you went to, what did you go to college for? Theater. I started in. <laughs> I should have just been like, so while you were pursuing that theater degree. Right, right, yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, when if you're openly gay, you go into theater. If you're closeted gay in Lake Charles, you become an engineer. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, I I studied theater at McNeese State University, and that's kind of really where I first started to like do actual stage productions, you know. Um, and I really miss. I haven't acted in a play since I was in in college. I mean, I wrote something after that um, that I did a little festival, but I haven't been in a play in a really long time you and i kind of miss that i know yeah. i should do it what would i be in though you write your own shit yeah that's true i could write my own play it's all about me <laughs> <laughs> by jeff you can d see it now <laughs> right i'll sing i'll dance i'll charge 25 dollars at the door <laughs> um did you want to be an actor was that was that the plan yes <clears throat> i i always wanted to be an actor and I that that's what I was that's what I that's what I wanted to do with my life and I beyond that I wanted to at some point graduate into directing films um which is still a hope that I have despite the fact that I have no technical uh skills or knowledge with filmmaking but um I will hope to one day have that opportunity. Um, I know that I just have to be driven enough to make the opportunity for myself. So we'll see if that happens. I don't know. And when did you get into stand-up? Because I know, I know you, you still act, right? Because you were in, famously, as we've uh, talked about on Greetings from Queer Mountain, our storytelling show, you were in Joe Dirt, too. I was. Which I, yes. I just, I know some people that are in the audience were at the show, but I'm just going to rehash it for folks that, uh, you know, weren't there. But um, d- my girlfriend and I, Jessa, watched the movie just to see Jeff. And he's, <laughs> the, the whole scene that he's in is just this lady's giving birth, and he's, like, looking in her, like, uh badge basically yeah Yeah, uh, and and commenting on it and i was just like oh man jeff is the best actor (laughs) because for him to like be looking i don't even know what they showed there's probably like a a A camera yeah it was the camera yeah oh we're gonna have this because sometimes they want to be realistic but i don't know if like uh joe dirt 2 is like the place for that right no they didn't it was so it was kind of like being in jurassic park instead but instead of you know (laughs) talking about the tyrannosaurus rex it was a vajayjay right in my face but it was yeah. believable. I was just like, thank Man, you. Like, I, I feel like you're looking right into a badge. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was, you know, um, I was also in I was in a pilot called In the Bag that never aired. And I was also in Grudge Match with Robert De Niro. And I was cut out of that movie. And then I was in a, a commercial with Drew Brees that never aired. Um, so I've not been in a lot of things. <laughs> You put a lot of work. I put a lot of work into not being in a lot of things. Yeah, you know. So just got to get a new agent and see what happens. <laughs> so you finished college? Yes. Yes. Or? Okay. Yes. I, well, I it, that that's kind of how I got into stand up. When I was um, twenty, uh, my friend graduated and she wanted to move to Dallas. <laughs> or sorry, when I was twenty one, and I was tired of of college, and I said I want to take a break, so I moved to Dallas with her. First time living in a big city, I worked at. Um, this restaurant called Uncle Julio's, which it was in a gay area, and it was all the gay, all the people that worked there were gay, and all the clientele was gay, and I drank more alcohol and did more cocaine than I've ever done in my life, and it was glorious. You know, it was just the best job I ever had uh, as a 21-year-old. Um, but then I decided I wanted to finish school, and my friend uh, Jen Cobra, who I go on the road with uh, a lot. Um, she was the one I moved to Dallas with, but we had done an an improv comedy and sketch troupe in Lake Charles at this place called D'Agostino's, 
And the woman who owned D'Agostino's, her name was Joanne, and she's from New York, and she talks really, you know, she's got a very thick accent, and she's like, listen, come in here. You know, I moved back to Lake Charles, and she was like, Jeff, come on, you're going to do a show. We'll do a stand-up show. I'm like, Joanne, I've never really done, I've never done stand-up comedy before. I don't know if I can. She's like, no, listen, we'll make some pizzas, invite your family, don't be a fucking coward, come in, we'll do the fucking show, it'll be amazing, you know. And so I did it, and it went really well, and I kept doing it you know so but i was doing like i was on stage for an hour um that's a lot of time for like a starting out yeah um i was singing songs and and doing you know i just tell stories and stuff and i kind of you know most comedians when they start out they, they there's a scene wherever they are and they do open mics or whatever to sort of test who they are um and i didn't have any open mics i just did uh I just did uh, my own shows, and when I moved to Los Angeles, and they were like, great, you get three minutes. I was like, oh, fucking God, how do I do three minutes? You know, what do I have that's three minutes long, you know? So it was good and bad. Good in the sense that I found myself on stage pretty quickly, but um, bad in the sense that I wasn't ready to sort of capitalize on it in the market that is stand-up comedy, you know? Yeah. What was your improv troupe called? I know we're going to back it up to that. We're also going to back it up to <coughs> you being given pizza for doing comedy. <coughs> right. I want to personally know more about that. Um, <laughs> well, I uh, I was... Uh, she she made great pizza, first of all. Um, She's from New York. Yeah. She, you know, and she did bake this bread and she did manicotti, whatever you want. Just come in and be funny. Um, uh, and uh, But I did... Um, what was the question? <laughs> What was your improv troupe called? Oh, the one with Jen was called Dysfunction Junction. And then I was in two others in Lake Charles, one called Fun Dip and one called The Tidy Whiteys. So... I love improv troupe names. Yeah. Everyone's always like, yeah, I was in an improv troupe. And then they move on real quick. And I'm like, hey, no. Right. Well, <laughs> we're going to talk <clears throat> about it. You know, the thing about the improv troops I was in, we worked really hard for a couple of weeks and did a couple of really great shows. And then we were all just kind of like, ah, we're busy. We're in school. You know, they just kind of fell apart. So... You know, but they were good while they lasted. And how old were you when you went to L.A.? I went to L.A. when I, it was 2002. So I moved there in January of 2002. So I was 20, I was almost 25. So I was 24. And you went there on your own or were you with people? I was on my own, baby. I knew I, uh, a girl that I had lived with in Lake Charles for a little bit um, when I first got to college I was like I'm going to head out on my own and live on my own and quickly realized how expensive that was <laughs> so moved back in with my family um, but she was living in LA and um, she her roommate was moving out with his girlfriend and so it was a perfect time she said you can take the room so I mean in a sense I had <clears throat> I knew somebody there you yeah. know but I didn't move with them I packed my life into my Corolla and hit the road and how was that? I loved it. I loved L.A. I did really well in L.A. I got on shows pretty quickly. I um, uh, I worked for a movie producer on the Warner Brothers lot for about six months, but he was not the kind of person I want to work for, and I just didn't want to be a creative executive, you know, although now that I'm 41 and really want marble countertops, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> maybe I should have given that a little uh, more of a shot, you know. Um, well, it but, depends on who it was and who you might be associated with today. Right. So. Well, he was he was pretty damn famous. He's still famous. He's still successful. Um, we were right next to Clint Eastwood's uh, production company, so I'd see him watering his 
plants in the morning and stuff like just being an old man out there just you know like 2002 he was an old right right you know he he's always been an old man as far as i'm concerned but uh you know he drove um a mercedes that was uh like it was like a 1984 Mercedes or something. I mean, like truly, like I'm gonna drive it till it runs into the ground, kind of a thing. You know, like the man's a multimillionaire and he drives a, you know, he was driving a 20-something-year-old car. So I thought that was interesting. Sandra Bullock almost hit me with her Mercedes too one time. Was she nice about it? She didn't notice. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was I was carrying Starbucks, which was one of the things I had to do when they had meetings. You know. Um, and there were, you know, there, I remember one of the things I remember, um, they were working on a superhero movie, and there was this producer, her name's Lauren Schuler Donner, right? Um, she's married to Richard Donner, who directed the old Superman movies and the Lethal Weapon movies, um, and she's produced a lot of uh, great films. She's a, she's a Hollywood powerhouse, you know? And I remember... Um, going to fetch coffee for everyone, and Lauren wasn't there yet, and I... Uh, walked by this woman um, on my way there, and I was like, "Is that Lauren Schuler Donner?" But it couldn't have been because she was like looking down at the ground, kind you know, kind of like walking the way I would, and kind of a you know, like a kind of a nervous, nimble, I'm going to where I'm going kind of way, you know, a little neurotic or whatever, you know. And so I got the coffee, and I get back into the room, and sure enough, that was her. But her presence in the room when I walked in was completely different from the woman I saw walking from the, you know, because she was the only woman in there, you know, surrounded by, uh, you know, executives and producers and things of that nature. And she was in charge, you know, and it was just funny to see her um, transformation, you know, and and then I went and got her a iced tea latte or something and <laughs> you know but I was like wow she's so different in here you know like they say that about a lot of stand-ups and the more I've been doing stand-up the more I notice that like there's some people that they can't have a conversation with you and then they get up on stage and they're the most they can garner everybody's attention and just be so dynamic on stage and then off stage you try to talk to them and there's no eye contact and they like seem like they don't want to be there and it's like right. the weirdest experience well where I think any artist is not any good artist, I guess, is is gonna have some issues. <laughs> you know, like that you're not. You know, very rarely do you meet um, artists who are completely and totally uh, not in need of therapy of some kind, and you know, completely well adjusted. And you know, like, and, and so yeah, I, it took me a long time. I certainly was not born a confident human being. You know, that comes with age and alcohol. <laughs> so. Well, what got you? So you're in LA. You're having a good time. What What got you back to? You went to Louisiana next, or did you go somewhere else? I actually, well, I I went to Houston for a little bit, and then to Louisiana. So, um, what? Well, I just said to myself, I want to be. I was listening to a lot of Ani DeFranco, yes. and I was like, right, and this I was is your like, audience. you know, right. <laughs> you well, her like a minute in, right? You know, I, I know. I should. <laughs> why a bunch of lesbians? Why am I holding out the Ani DeFranco? <laughs> Um, I actually met her in the French Quarter. Um, I know. I walked by her. I was. We were out drinking, and I walked by her, and I went, "Ani," and she turns around and goes, "Yes." And I, I was like, "Oh my God, can I hug you?" She's looking. She's like, "Okay, I guess so." I'm like, "No, I love you. I'm a fan." You know, I have dreams that I actually chase Ani DeFranco out of bars because I'm being so like crazy fanatic with her. You know, I love Ani DeFranco. 
Um, but I, but even more than her actual art, I really loved her business sense. You know, the fact that she created her own label and, you know, just, she used to play in YMCA's, you know, ball headed and, you know, like strumming her guitar, I guess, next to the pool. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, and just sort of built it from there. She didn't have a Hollywood machine behind her or she never signed with RCA and they put her on the radio and, I always just appreciated that, and I said, I want to be a real artist, and so I moved back to the South, um, because I figured that if I was going to make a living as an artist, it was going to be easier here, you know, um, this is someone thinking in their mid-twenties, you know, but, <laughs> you know, the notion that I didn't, I wanted to start to build something, and I felt more comfortable starting to do that where my home base was, you know, and LA was a great city met a lot of people, learned a lot of things, but I never really felt like it was my home, you know, so. Yeah, it's weird for me because I'm from Los Angeles mm. and I couldn't wait to get out of there. <laughs> and then everyone's like, oh, why are you doing stand-up when you could like move to LA? And like, I have family there and I have the connections there, but I don't want to live there. You know, it's it's it would be a hard thing because like New Orleans to me feels like home. In, right. in LA, even though I go there and thank you. <laughs> I wasn't, Ani, Ani DeFranco, let's pander. Right. <laughs> well, she lives in New Orleans now. So. I know. We've been, we've been trying to get her uh, maybe on this show or Greetings Ooh, from Fair Mountain. That would be good. Um, yeah, we got a response from her rep today. So we're, What yeah. did they say? They, oh, well. they basically were like, prove yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like, give us your numbers. So Right. <laughs> You're, the crowd well, is, I was is mouthing to things to yeah. Amanda right now everyone's very upset i thought this was a good time to bring it up right (laughs) i've been i've had a crazy day i spent half of my day driving a client and i helped her jump a truck which like you think as a lesbian i would know how to do i don't know well are you that athletic or no i'm from oh you mean with the wires okay with like okay i I get it there's like a red one and a black one right 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 right, right. they're not labeled and if you hit the wrong one yeah so i'm she's looking at me and i'm looking at her and i'm like it's your truck like i don't know what to tell you Um, some toxic masculinity when you need it you know like yeah, one, well, one of the comics, uh, Andrew Polk, one time made made a joke, and he said, uh, man, "We're in a room full of comics," and he said, oh, "Amanda G's the only one here who can change a tire." And I, I, I accepted it because I was like, "I want to be the tough guy in here," but it's not true. No, I don't want to change. Jewish tires. liberals can't change tires. I'm from the suburbs. Like, yeah, right. Do that's anything. what. That's what. What is that called? Triple A is for or whatever. You know, see, yeah, exactly. Yes, triple A. Part I, of my life. I didn't learn how to change a tire until i was an adult so and i it was because i had to yeah. yeah i know i actually know how to i just don't want to do it no so. who does yeah the last time i had a flat tire a guy came around and was like can i help you ma'am and i wanted to be like fuck you but i was right. like it's july and it's hot <laughs> so yes sir of course you can <laughs> and then i was like i'm taking the power because you're doing my bitty right <laughs> and that's how I i'm not going inside and fix us some lemonade <laughs> i'll be right back I, I sat in my air-conditioned car. <laughs> Are you able to jack it up with me in here? Because it's really hot out there. No. I'm like, you understand. <laughs> you understand. But you, when you were, because um, I know this just from knowing you, like you were a teacher for a while. Mm-hmm. How did you get into well, teaching? I, like how, how did I, I, moved, I moved back to L.A. Um, okay. Right. And I said, I'm really going to do it this time. And then I said, no, I really want to be an artist. You know, because um, at that point I hooked up um with jen who i travel with she was in la and i went like on my first tour i'd never been on a tour before 
um, and I didn't get paid very well. Um, but I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? And I didn't want to get a, an office job again. And I, I knew I wanted to to work on um, writing and my stand up. And um, I was in a relationship that was not going that well. And uh, so my friend, who was working in education in New Orleans, you know, this was. 2008 so you know there hadn't been a lot of recovery yet you know in fact she worked for the recovery school district she said you know jeff you have a college degree we're desperate for teachers i can get you a teaching job you know and i was like oh awesome that sounds great you know teaching's the easiest thing in the world i mean you get off at like 3 30 every day you have plenty you can't beat the time off you know this is going to be a, a a cinch right so i went to work um at an alternative middle school uh called booker t washington in inner city new orleans and those kids kicked my ass that was the hardest job I've ever had in my life um and i taught for eight years uh that school eventually closed but i went on to teach at a, at a high school film and theater which was a little more my speed not reading um but uh i loved teaching i loved it um and i'll say this i'll, I'll take this to the mountaintops the problem with education is not the kids it's the adults <laughs> you know like we you know um it's funny that I, someone with a theater degree and no teaching experience, um, was able to get a job teaching the most challenging students who needed really, really good teachers, you know, like, and I think that's what we do in this country is we have all of these, these kids that, who are challenging, um, and and we give them brand new new teachers, you know, and it's just a weird way of, of because all of the older teachers, all of the skilled teachers, they want to they want to work at the easy schools, you know, like they they don't want a, a difficult day. They don't want a classroom where fights break out in the classroom, you know, like we I would I mean, you know, every month we would lose a few kids, some to getting killed by other, you know, teenagers some to getting killed by the police like it was just an eye-opening experience for me not just to what education was but just to how important it is you know and how uh people more experienced than me should be doing it <laughs> you know like and it was never my passion you know and i think that you'll have more people who are passionate about teaching once you start paying them a hundred thousand dollars a year like they deserve so, yes absolutely yeah my mom was a teacher for 32 years, so I definitely was the daughter, you know, like having her come home every day from those frustrations and, you know, hearing the stories, all this kid threw a desk through a window mm -hmm. and like all this shit. And it's like, and then she has to go back the next day. Right. Like just with the same classroom, with the same people knowing, you know, that this is what the experience is. And it's tough. It is tough. And it's, it's draining in a way that I've never been drained before. It's, it's exhausting. And to think that, that, that teachers that I taught with, um, that they had to have roommates in order to survive in this city, and you know that a teacher doesn't make enough money to live in an apartment on their own and have a car with a, a car uh, uh, with a with with insurance and be able to afford to go out, uh, you know, a few times a week and go on vacation. They can't afford that because they're not being paid enough. That's just ridiculous to me, considering how hard the job is and how important it is. And people constantly say, "Oh, you know, God bless the teachers." Yeah, fuck you. Write a check. <laughs> you know, that's the way I felt. 
Yeah, no, when I was in high school, I went um, during Christmas time, um, I went uh, to the mall to get, you know, a present. I don't even remember who it was for. Um, and my teacher was actually, her part-time job during the holiday was, like, wrapping presents See? at the mall. And I, that, like, blew my mind because at the time when you're a kid, you don't understand, like, to you, like, teachers are up here and you're, like, they're treated like gold and everyone in society is telling you how wonderful they are. And then, you know, you're seeing it and it's like, she's like, I have to work. I can't, I can't yeah. take this time off. And I'm thinking, like, she's at Christmas break off. Like, she's seeing her family. She's doing the things that I'm doing and i'm able to do and i was like such an eye-opener well and a lot of that is the problem that you know teachers were always expected they was the woman's job and she was married to a man who made more money so you know it was and she would get off in time to go pick up her own kids from whatever school that they were at and and you know that 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 is not the way it is anymore so we need to stop looking at it as a woman's job and you know something easy to to, to give smaller pay to because it's it's so important and we're not going to fix the problems in society any of the problems you the answer to poverty education right you know the answer to just about every single social ill we have is education so it's, it's truly important and did that affect your art because i know for me like i work at a nonprofit and i deal with a lot of shit all day mm-hmm. that um, sometimes it's very bad the justice system is very bad and it's very hard to then be like oh and I have a show tonight and, and to really like flip that around and be funny right. for people when you're like you don't want to be funny and you just want to yell fuck you a bunch of times right the world well it it affected my art in the sense that I really didn't have time for it you know because I if I had a real I, I told myself if I was going to do a real job I wanted to be doing something good for society you know I wanted to be do something that benefited society that made me feel good about myself i didn't just want to go work for an oil company in the office or whatever you know um but i didn't i would come home and i was exhausted and the last thing i felt like doing was going and doing stand-up you know or and i certainly you know you can't really you know audition for a lot of roles if you're (laughs) you know if you if you work in an office and you're not in your cubicle for a couple of hours people can deal with it but when you've got you know 30 kids in a classroom, you can't just not be there, you know, like, yeah, you can't be like, hold on, I gotta gotta tweet this, like, Roseanne's just blown up on Twitter. Right, right. I gotta get on this, there's a fucking window. Exactly. (laughs) Hold on, guys, I'm gonna write my jokes here on the dry erase board, you know, can you hold off? Just, you know, yeah, I mean, like, so, you know, it, I, I wanted a job, and teaching is a career, you know, and so, that's why I left, you know, because I was just not feel. Well, I was, I was felt like I was doing good. I wasn't being artistically fulfilled, and I needed to do that. And how's that? You're because you're just doing art now. Yes, like yeah, I'm just a performer now. Yeah. So and we we have HBO, so we're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, wait, we don't use like my parents' okay. HBO Go password, Amanda. No, like we, your own password? we have like our we own. All kind of have HBO. We, we pay for our own. Thank you. That's how my we mom gets me to Netflix, call her. Right? Yeah. She changes the password. I knew you'd call today. <laughs> mom, do you have to do it right before the new Game of Thrones comes out? God. <laughs> How's your back? <laughs> right. <laughs> My mom will listen to this. Right, right. She'll appreciate it. She also told me, um, she called me after the last episode, and she was like, okay, I, I appreciate because I mentioned her in the last episode. And she's like, I thank you, but your aunt also listens, so you need to mention her too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, well, what's so, her name? Hi, Aunt Melody. <laughs> Aunt Melody. None of my family's going to listen to this, so there's no point in even uh, saying their well, names. Your husband's right here. Well, well, no, my husband, yes, but I'm talking about, yeah, well, maybe yeah. they will. 
Hi, hi Aunt Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> She's not going to listen. Who are the rich ones? Just but, shout out the uh, we'll just give God. you a clip of just I really don't have any rich ones. <laughs> I do have a cousin who makes really good money, and we went to his um, house for Thanksgiving. And it pisses me off because I like, you know, he's got like granite countertops and shit and a nice big ass house. And I'm like, fuck you. You made like a 12 on the ACT, you asshole. You know, like. <laughs> I should have this house right now, but it's like, what's the secret? I know, well, he works at a car dealership or oh, something, no, you know. No, no, like, thank you. <laughs> does some kind of stupid, you know? Come on in. To the Toyota. Is he the guy in the commercials though? Yeah, I think he is in commercials. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there he's doing. He's doing art. <laughs> right. He's he's an artist. Well, I appreciate your husband's here. Can you? Uh, I always wanted to know. I actually don't know this. Like how you guys met. Um, we actually met the old-fashioned way on MySpace. Um, <laughs> I, when I first moved to New Orleans, I, um, so you know... a mutual friend, Tom. Right, through Tom. Um, well, I, 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 did, I booked a show, you know, my own show I was going to do at this little bar. And so on MySpace, you could look up people like... Um, uh, you know, like all the gay people in this zip code or whatever that are on MySpace. So I just sent them all little messages saying, please come see my show. I'm a gay comedian. I just moved to town. And he was one of them. And he wrote back a couple months later, like, oh, sorry, I missed your show. But um, I'll definitely come see another one. By the way, I think you're cute. And I was like, Aww. oh, well, <laughs> little Asian boy. I think you're cute, too. You know, a little too much makeup, but we can deal with that, you know. So we met um, on at two o'clock in the morning. It was New Year's Eve. Um, we had talked on the phone a lot. I would drunk dial him and um, <laughs> He's uh, nodding his head. Right, <laughs> right. We had talked on the phone a few times, and then on New Year's Eve. So I guess it was New Year's Day, but it was two in the morning. We met for the first time in the upstairs bar at the pub, and. Um, he came home with me that night because he wanted to make sure I got home okay, which was smooth. News. Right, he's not a slut; he's just a concerned citizen. Um, and uh, and I never got rid of him. So you know, right. And how long ago was that? That was. Uh, it'll be ten years. Oh, this um, anyway. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we've been married for four and a half years. We'll celebrate five years in is December. There a, is there a story behind the marriage proposal? The proposal, well... I can't y- say the word proposal. It proposal, w- I don't know. No, it was not romantic <laughs> at all. I was, I was drunk one night, and the Supreme Court decided that day that um, they were going to strike down DOMA. Was it DOMA? Yeah, uh, they were going to strike down DOMA. Um, no. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes, which meant the federal government had to recognize marriages, right? It wasn't on a state-by-state level yet, um, but the DOMA was struck down, so I took a paper clip and formed it into a ring, and I said, will you marry me or whatever, and or he said yes. Or whatever. And, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's so Right cool. in our living room, you know, like. So, and then on December 26th of that, the following year, we drove all the way to Iowa to get married and because you couldn't do it in Louisiana Iowa was the closest driving distance and I think that all couples gay or straight the day before they get married should be forced to spend 18 hours in a car with the person you're about to spend the rest of your life with 
I think it should be mandatory. <laughs> it, it is a good tester. It is. <laughs> if I heard one more goddamn Britney Spears song, <laughs> you know, I'm not that kind of gay. I like her, but Jesus Christ, you know. You can't talk shit about her, though. I, uh, I, I will, but... Um. Yeah. Oh, they'll come after you, girl. Oh, I, I mean, know. like, I if had... you talk shit about Britney Spears, the gays will descend. Yeah, my girlfriend is nodding her head and has the big eyes and I need to shut the fuck up right <laughs> No, I just, I saw her show in Vegas. I flew out there with some girlfriends and I saw the show and I thought she was terrible um, because, I mean, she lip synced, which I expected, but she was like uh, at least a half beat behind all of the, the dancers. And then they did the thing where like she t- lip synced or sang or whatever. And then when she was done, she'd go, how y'all doing, Louisiana? Like real high pitch or Las Vegas or whatever, the real high pitch voice. So you could, even if you didn't think she was lip syncing, you could now tell. Right. <laughs> It was really frustrating for me. That, but you can't say anything because I put one tweet out there and mm-mm. that was the one people responded to. Yeah, that was the one that, that <laughs> like, you went nuts that, for. Yeah, that I didn't even like tag her. I, I think I even just put Britney and then they're like, I'm like, how'd you find this shit? Right. You can't love my tweet about spending the day with my sweet Grammy, but you can certainly love the one that you hate. You know, like you can, let's make her Twitter famous for hating Britney, you know. Sycophants. <laughs> I, I do this joke it, when one of the uh, the drag show that I host, when one of the drag queens does um, a Britney Spears song, I'm like, oh, look, you know, someone in a, a wig lip syncing to Britney Spears songs. It's almost like being at a Britney Spears concert, isn't it? <laughs> See, I love it. I get in trouble, though. Yeah, like, there's always one queen in the audience that's like, hey, <laughs> I love Britney Spears. <laughs> Of course you do. <laughs> well, I'm gonna Get ask. Some culture. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you this because my uh, girlfriend, who's here, uh, actually just got into a drag queen workshop in oh. New Orleans, which I'm really excited is that for. Santos yes, drag yes. He's and pretty fabulous. Your husband is also a drag queen. Yes, he so is. Do you have any advice or tips for the partner of a drag queen? I do. Get ready. <laughs> get ready to have another person living in your apartment. <laughs> Who probably won't pay rent, um, (laughs) but will take up every inch of space with wigs and shoes and dress at bras or everywhere. You know, this is part of the reason I became a gay man because, you know, I didn't think I'd ever have, you know, bras hanging up in my apartment, but apparently we do. Now, Carla Kalua takes up a lot of space, and I want the bitch out. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So that I guess and the second thing is just get ready for all the questions. Like, um how does this one like? Does this like matter with this? <laughs> which which colors are these? Oh, no. You know, like I get so confused. I know. It's like it's like, oh, do you like one, two or three better? And I'll say three and then it'll be like, Okay, but what about two with this? And then later on it's like but you said three and now you're saying one and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. This isn't my job, you know, like I remember I don't do this. I'm not that gay, you know. <laughs> I know, I'm like three as in like you just have three outfits that you just wear on rotation. <laughs> well, they all have stains on them. He never, he never, you'll, she'll have more. She might have three now, but. No, no, I'm talking about me. Oh, you, yeah. I'm saying like that's my yeah. wardrobe. That's my whole wardrobe. Right. Like you'll probably see this shirt in two days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got Unless t-shirts. Unless I on it tonight and then you won't see it. When, when I, whenever my t-shirts start getting too fugly, it's time to make another trip to Walmart. And then, you know, my, my, my wardrobe is refilled you know yeah. um i like to call i like to call what i wear walmart couture um 
that's right. Um, but you know, it's uh, yeah, lots of questions, lots of outfits. When he realized he could buy stuff at Goodwill, it just the the train went off the fucking rails, man. Like it's just shoes and dresses galore. We can't go to he he goes and shops. Um, as it, it, what's funny is like in Lake Charles where I'm from there are a couple of dress places and, and it's always funny because you'll, you'll either hit like the Pentecostal worker which is a religion that's really big down there who really doesn't you know understand why a boy is buying a dress um, and then you get they they almost think of drag queens as like you know these mystical creatures or something you know they're because they're still like oh my god you're a drag queen oh my do you know RuPaul you know like <laughs> right honey there are levels <laughs> you know no, but I think it's really cool because your cabaret show, you have drag queens on mm-hmm. it, and uh, Carla makes appearances pretty much every time, and I love that you guys can like work together with your art. Oh, like, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's just a really cool thing. Well, you know, I, the great thing is I don't have to pay him, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, no, yeah, you know, working with Carla is really, he's, one, he's a very talented drag queen, and it's been really great to see him blossom into doing this um i wish he wanted to do it more because i know that he could make a lot more money at it um but he doesn't really want to do it that much which to me uh is kind of fucked up because of how much space she takes up in the <laughs> apartment but um you know like She's gotta earn her keep. right let's Car- carla kalua let's get her let's make her One get third. us a bigger place yeah. you know or at least pay for a fucking storage unit for shit you know like <laughs> Um, yeah, and I love that, that, you know, that women are getting into the whole drag game. I know that that's kind of a controversial topic, um, because apparently gays think they own makeup and lip syncing, um, but, you know, I think it's great. I think that it's a, it's a show, it's a, you know, you're never, a woman in drag is, you know, there will always be room for men in drag (laughs) you know what i mean but to me it's an art form that anyone can be a part of that doesn't mean i want to force rupaul to to have women on the show or whatever i'm not even gonna get into that debate but um i love that women are doing drag and i have them in my show sometimes so i think they're great all right, well, maybe in the future I got you uh, hooked yeah. you up with some gigs. This is what we're here for now. What's her, what's her <laughs> drag name? That was the whole, uh, we're working on that. Right? She hasn't started the workshop yet. I'm probably like o- over, you know, right. analyzing right now. We're the, like, what does this mean for my life? <laughs> well, I need to prepare and Jeff knows. Oh yeah. Well, I don't really know shit about drag. I just know how to book you. Um, <laughs> you know, but well, there's one, um, her name is Sansa Phallus is what she goes by. <laughs> and it. she does this great number where she's got a, um, uh, a uh, she dresses like Donald Trump and she's got a stand up of or like a cut out thing of uh, Putin and she does this bit to <laughs> I touch myself you know like you know right <laughs> when I think about you I touch myself she like pulls her pants off in one uh, rip and it's got property of Putin on her ass and stuff it's hilarious <laughs> she'll be on the show next Thursday so all right, so what's what's next for you? Like, what do you, where, where do you see yourself? I'm not even say like five years, ten years, but like artistically, like what's your what's your goal now? Well, right now I have to get some headshots done next week so that I can get a new agent and get back to auditioning because I haven't done that in a while. I've been very busy doing stand, trying to create a living, um, and my old agent and I 
uh, broke up. Um, so I, I've got to get a new agent so I can get back into the auditioning game and booking more out-of-town shows. Um, you know, it's as a gay comic, it's, it's not easy to work the road because a lot of the standard comedy clubs, yeah, they'll hire you if they're doing a gay pride show or, you know, it's gay night at the improv or whatever, but they, they're all afraid that I am going to not connect with their audience. And so I'm, I'm really not even given a chance, you know, like despite the fact that the videos I send them are of me in front of straight conservative people, usually because of where I live, you know, um, and it's hard. I'm saying it's hard to get booked for a weekend or whatever at a at a comedy club for me. Um, so I really have to fight to make my own um, bookings, you know. And so that's uh, that's what I'm working on. Okay. Well, good luck with everything. Thank you. I want to get. I, I need something to go viral. <laughs> you know, like I, I will need retweet or I will re Facebook whatever. I'll repost your Facebook. Yeah, I did. I did. A, I did a video yesterday. Like, repost that's funny. This. I was so. Like, okay. Yeah, repost that because I want yes. to do a video. It's got like 19 shares right now. Uh, I'll post it on. Uh, we'll post it on Near and Queer to My Heart. So oh, that'd be good. Comes out. So and that's not uh, enough people. for viral though. But <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like locally viral. Uh, okay, viral. Well, you want a million? You talking about? Fuck yeah, a million. You know, because here, where, where does it get viral? Well, like, if uh, I get two two reposts, I think it's viral. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Well, here's the thing. Like a lot of people become famous because of their youtube videos and uh, the challenge is coming up with something original and funny you know but a lot of people get famous and so the comedy clubs say hey we're gonna book you because you're famous you know but they're not necessarily ready to be headlining comedians you know they've got a really funny uh facebook character or whatever but they're not ready to do 45 minutes to an hour on stage but damn it i'm ready <laughs> i just need the viral video you okay. know what i mean <laughs> yes and same with Thank how you, you got into stand-up. You did it. Like, everyone else started with the mics and then got into the hour shows. You were like, fuck, I'm just doing the hour shows. I was doing the hour shows, so. man. I was writing music. You know, I have this one song about um, the fact that the guy at the Taco Bell never gave me mild sauce when I asked for it. That <laughs> killed with the audience. That connects with everybody. It does. You know, getting a screaming match with him. You know, I just, I just had fun with it. I just told stories and sang songs and made it my show you know and i had no idea how the business worked and i didn't care yeah that's i was making money yeah it's about doing your thing and yeah that's awesome well uh because this is a live show i actually was hoping that the audience might have some questions or at least a couple questions that someone can ask jeff so that i'm not just the only one or you can ask me it's just not about britney spears um <laughs> we're not we're i'll not. answer questions <laughs> about britney spears <laughs> I don't know if anyone has a question. Y'all can just shout it out or uh, putting everyone on the spot here. All right. Favorite Ani DeFranco song. Okay. Favorite Ani DeFranco song. Um, Gray is one of them. Um, Napoleon, of course. Um, 32 Flavors, the live version that's on Living in Clip. Um, uh, I could go on. Uh, uh, but I should probably stop there. That's an Ani DeFranco line, by the way. But... What both hands? I love both hands. Um, Little Plastic Castle, that whole damn album is good. You know, like I don't know everything. I love everything. She, you know, it, it, there was a little while she put out a few albums that I was like, oh, good lord, Annie, where are you going with this? You know, like, uh, but there was always one or two songs on there that I was like, okay, that's bitching. I like that. You know, like so I, 
I, I will always go see her when she's in town, and I will always buy her new album. So, yeah. How do you feel about Mariah? Mariah. <laughs> <laughs> Mariah Carey? You better, you better watch this answer. Be real. God. Hey, I've been so I haven't mentioned her one time this whole show. Very impressive on my part, because that's been, what, like an hour of time that I haven't said the words Mariah or Carrie? Uh, do, do you love Mariah Carrie? That's do my you? number one. Oh, yeah? yeah? Oh, my goodness. See, I, you know, I, I remember my little sister singing the songs in the car. I, I, I like some of her songs. I like that one that's like, always be my baby, you know, do, 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 you know, I like that one. Um, but what I really remember about her is when she went fucking crazy and you know i was i just remember watching her give interviews like what the hell is wrong with her you know so i don't i really don't have an opinion about mariah carey i guess i will not spend two hundred dollars to see her live so that's a fact and i have no i haven't spent two hundred dollars but i did go see her when she was in vegas and she was amazing oh Um, of course yeah no lip syncing there what is it about mariah carey that you love I think, it, yeah, no, I think, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I, I okay. <laughs> you are blushing. Everyone's saying I'm We're talking, Mariah Carey's not in the room. You know that, right? Like, I know. And I'm sorry, but you don't have a chance, Amanda. Like, no, I don't was, want to ruin your dreams. It was never like a sexual, like I always saw her as uh, like almost like a godmother figure. I feel like when the Music Box album came out and Hero came out, yeah. it came out at a time, I was like a 10 or 11 and I was having like a shitty, like I had a, a birthday party that I think like two people showed up to, which is like the saddest, yeah, it was like oh. the saddest elementary school party ever. But then like Hero like made me think like, oh, there's a, a hero lies in me, you know? And, and I'm, I'm like 10 or 11, I'm just like in my room just feeling this. And that album has like Music Box is actually a song on the album that is about how her music box is her comfort and like it's all these things that like 10 year old me just ate up (laughs) and then after that like the the daydream came out with fantasy like it was just there was nothing and then she went through her own like her own struggles too like a lot of people don't know because she's oh my god (laughs) 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 oh god this is why no one's asked this question (laughs) i wonder if they have her her biography here in the bookstore if they don't, I will write it. Right, yeah. <laughs> the unauthorized biography. Music Box. Music Box Hero yes. by Amanda Gallo. Yes. What, what, do, do we want to hear about what her struggles were? Oh, no, I'll, I'll save that for another Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, if you want to go, please. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want to bum anybody out. Right. We'll just, just know that she came through it better than ever. Well, good, good. I'll, I'll say one of her struggles, though. Her record out, al- or her record label... <laughs> I was going to get into like a whole other thing, but her record label dropped her when one of her albums didn't do well. Oh and yeah, I know. I, but not, not that sad, though, because they actually she had a seventy five million dollar contract for three albums. Yeah. And after one went bad, they paid, I think, twenty one million just to, to not have her make it music. So she right. got paid twenty one million dollars. I think that's well, what don't can quote you me get on that. Twenty one million nowadays. <laughs> but that's she did nothing. not make an album. And then but, I know. So she could have just well, done, she could have made an album, just not with them. Yeah, that's what that's but what she, she did. sat on her ass and went cuckoo manuno. That's what she did. That's what she did. She got back with Jermaine Dupree and all these people that she worked with, and she made her own album. I think it was on Def Jam Island, and that's the one that was her big comeback album, Emancipation of Mimi. Check it out. It's all about 
her comeback. But I'm just saying, like, she could have taken the money and just, like, sunk away. And she was like, no, I still have music to give. And I still have fans out there like Amanda Golub. And I'm going to I'm gonna be there for them. She's going to buy that That's album. That's quote. That's yeah. <laughs> right. Like Amanda Golub. She even said my last name right. It was right. incredible. This one goes out to the little lesbian in the eighth grade. <laughs> that, that loves me. But I, I mean, I just like that she does her own thing and, and doesn't really give a fuck. Like, I everyone, like people diss her all the time and she like could Ani. care. Yeah, like Ani. Ani too. And Ani has her own, yeah, like Jeff said, a lot of respect for Ani because she's always done her own thing. And she could have, you know, uh, if you want to say sell out, but she could have gone mainstream and she could have gone to a label that didn't let her do what she wanted. And she didn't fucking do it. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. All right. One more question. Uh, two more questions. But you in the front first. Have I gotten into theater here? I haven't. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely do it. And that's all on me. You know, like, I, I just haven't auditioned for anything. I haven't even put feelers out for it, you know, because, I mean, I've been here for almost 10 years, and, you know, it's taken me a while to sort of get stand-up where I want it to be, and so now I can, and to get, you know, the agent start auditioning for film stuff, and so now I would love to do theater. Yes, I would love to get back into it. One last question in the back. I want to ask you, when you uh, do your comedy, do you just like memorize it before you go on, or do you write it down and then try to memorize it? And what other question? Mm-hmm. When you're in the crowd, like a smaller crowd, like is, is it more difficult? Like I find it's more difficult than a large crowd. Right. Um, Can you well, the question yes. for okay. the microphones? Okay, so basically, how do I write my comedy, basically? Um, and I'll answer that one first. I... I carry a little notebook around with me, and um, and if I have an idea, I'll just write it down. Um, I usually, I don't really, sometimes I write it out. Um, a lot of times I flesh it out on stage. I kind of know where I'm going with it, what the joke is, you know. Um, I've got a, a whiteboard in my living room that I cover with, you know, ideas and stuff. Um, and I have to get better at writing things out and and um turning it into more of a a coherent bit and not doing it on stage all that much because when you do it on stage it means it might fall flat you know and so like and you don't know exactly i'll forget where i'm going with it sometimes so um so the process is to write the idea down and then flesh it out um the question is just how i flesh it out it just depends Uh, but i need to do more of the actual writing it fully out i think um because i think it results in a better bit uh the second question is is it easier to do a small room or a big room that just depends on the people in it you know you guys were great if you were sitting here staring at me this would have been a very hard you know like room you know but y'all were very you like you know sometimes you just get a crowd that's just not into it you know um i did a college show in illinois and there were there were probably 250 300 college kids in that room and that was one of the hardest shows i've ever had Uh, they gave them these little clapping things so instead of human clapping they clapped with these little plastic things and that was fucking annoying you know like and it just sort of changed the vibe it's like you know i say something you like and now all i hear is click 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 click. you know it's like performing for you know uh, in a toy factory or something like 
You know, so that just changes. Of course, if you've got a big audience at a comedy club, they're there to laugh. They've paid to be there. They want to have a good time. That's that's a great audience, right? So it's it's easier to get them to roll with laughter. Um, but some of the best shows I've done have been for like twelve people, where you know you kind of <clears throat> in that when when you're in front of. 200 people or 300 people it's all material you've got to roll with what you've got and what you have that's the best right when you're in front of 12 people if you start to do material like there are 300 people it sort of sounds false it doesn't seem right so you sort of have to connect with them first and then you can start to add your material into it but it's a totally different experience and sometimes it's a better experience than a large crowd i like people who laugh you know that's doesn't matter if there's four of them or 400. I like it. I like to hear the laughter. And if you're doing stand up and you don't hear laughter, you sometimes feel like you're reading a suicide note. So, like, it's <laughs> very depressing. And on that note, we're going to end this live podcast. <laughs> I thought it was like uplifting for a minute, and then you're like, suicide. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. Okay, There's well, nothing sadder than a stand-up <laughs> comedian who's not getting laughs, you yes. know, like a sad clown. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, right plastic things. Yes, <laughs> we'll we'll click. We'll all click now. I know that's a weird thing. Yeah, I don't. Why? It's, I was so stupid. I don't know. Well, then I found out afterwards they were all lined up and swiping their little ID cards. Turns out they all had to be there, right? Because like they got credit for it or something so there were 300 students who were forced to be there because of credit so you never want to perform in front of an audience where they're they have to be there you know like but i want to thank you guys for coming it's very sweet yes thank you guys so much our live audience on our first live recording uh we appreciate it crescent city books if you haven't been here it's on barone street um off of canal it's amazing they have so many books um they have like a lot of old like they have original like confederacy of dunces books like they have the oh, old wow. editions then they have the the other like newer editions and things that you know we can probably afford uh, some of us right um the other ones we'll we'll look at and other people can afford they also have a cat here i don't know if anyone's <laughs> <laughs> seen the cat her name's her name's Isabel, and she's wonderful and beautiful. So at least come and see the cat here. Um, thank you to Jeff D. Jeff D., can you tell everyone where to find you? Um, you can find me at jeffdcomedy.com, and from there you can like my Facebook page and follow me on Instagram or ignore me on Twitter like most <laughs> people do. Uh, jeffdcomedy.com, and every Thursday at Oz on Bourbon Street, 10 o'clock, Jeff D. Comedy Cabaret here in New Orleans. All right, cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a great... deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market